We come to the time of our second scripture reading and the preaching of God's word. So I invite you to stand and to to listen or to turn in your own Bibles to Psalm 72, which is on page 485 of your pew Bibles. Psalm 72, we're going to read the entire psalm. Of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like the grass, the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abounds till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually. And blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains, may it wave. May his fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May peoples be blessed in him. May all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory, all men and all men. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, open our hearts and open our minds to hear your word be faithful to do it, and to submit to the king. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the unspoken rules of our culture, don't mix Christmas and politics, right? Don't bring politics to the Christmas table, because if you do, you know, something is going to erupt, you know, the the family is going to get into a fight. So just Leave your politics over there and don't mix it with Christmas. And that's why we see, you know, even in our, um, our, our state and with statesmen that most people take a break during the Christmas season from the work of governing um, and from, you know, heated debates over, over hot topics because you know, Christmas is a time to enjoy family and to feast with friends 
And there's something to that, of course. But I want to push back on it. Because I believe that Christmas is, in fact, deeply political. Christmas is the most political season of all when it really comes down to it. Because it places all of our hopes and all of our prayers and everything that we depend on upon one king and his government and his rule and his reign. And Christmas makes demands of our life, our lives that that no other season really demand. When we really stop and think about what Christmas is saying and what it means and what it demands of us, it's deeply political. That's what Psalm 72 is all about. It's a psalm that was written by David for his son Solomon as he took the throne. Now, how do we know that? Actually, some scholars will tell you um, that they'll have a different way of understanding this because you see that title right at the beginning of the psalm that helps us out. It says, of Solomon. Now, some folks think, think that that means that this was Solomon's prayer. But if you look at the very end of the psalm, we have a really unique ending to it. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So apparently, way back when uh, the psalms were being compiled and put together under God's direction, there was a time in which all of David's psalms were in one book. And this was the last psalm in that book, right? Of the prayers written, the psalms written by David. And under God's providence, under his guidance, the psalms got shuffled all around so that we're, we'd see if we go on in the psalms that there are other psalms later on that are written by David. But what I believe is happening here is here you have the final prayer of David, his final psalm, where all of his hopes are rested as he, as he hands over the, the, the throne that was his to his son Solomon. And he says, Solomon, listen, this is my prayer for you. This is my plea to God that you would be this kind of king. Well, let's look at at, at each part of this psalm and ask ourselves what kind of king David is putting his hopes in. I think as we work our way through, you'll see the original theme I mentioned, Christmas and politics and, and the proper way those two things weave together. I think you'll see them Come to clarity. First thing that David prays for. As he looks over his son Solomon. Is the king's rule. He prays for the king's rule. What's what's the king's rule like in this psalm? We see that in verses 1 through 7, right? And there's one word that just pops up over and over and over. And it's the word righteousness, righteousness. And then you see another word come along to complement it. Justice, justice. You hear that twice. And then a final word, peace, that just rings out like a bell. And these three words together just kind of give us a picture of what this king's rule is like. What David prays that Solomon's rule would be like. And righteousness is like that waterfall that just comes cascading down upon everything that defines the king's rule. What does that mean? What does it mean for the king to be righteous? It means that he can discern the right 
and the fair decision. And he sticks to it even when that decision isn't popular. Because why? Because he's taking God's perfect and unchanging holy law and he's applying it to the matters of the land before him. And he's faithful to God's law. And because he's faithful to God's law, everything that he does just has this characteristic that you say, that's a righteous ruling. That's good. That's true. That's honest. That's pure. And then he comes along and this king wields that incredible power he has and he wields it in such a way that he is impartial. He looks on the rich and he looks on the poor. As we hear this over and over again in the Proverbs, he doesn't just cater to one or the other, but his decisions are made in such a way that both flourish. He's not swayed what he gets out of decisions. He's not swayed by special interest groups that come along and tickle his ear. This king defends the weak. How does he do that? First of all, he cuts off oppressors. This is so unlike what we, what we often see with, with politicians and, and governors and kings, isn't it? A leader who doesn't compromise with those who bully others and push others around. He stands strong and he says, no, I've had enough of, of, of what I've seen from you. And then he turns and he lifts up those that don't have a voice. He lifts up those that are struggling and in the dust and weeping and oppressed. And he says, rise, rise. My reign gives you hope. He lifts up their dripping faces. And all of this, this righteous reign results in this pure and perfect peace that just resonates like a bell throughout the land. What's peace? You know, the, the absence of, of war and violence. Isn't that the kind of leadership that we long to see in our lands? Isn't that the kind of leadership that we ought to pray for? I mean, I think that's one of the first things that we ought to think about as we hear this. We say, Lord, We pray that our land would be defined by rulers like that. We pray that that we would see a government that meets this ideal. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We're told to pray for our leaders. And so when we hear this ideal, we, we ought to pray that our leaders would move more and more and more towards this. This righteous, just, peaceful rule. So it's no surprise that that's exactly what David prays for. For his son, Solomon. Solomon's name means, you know what it means? Peace. There was so much hope when Solomon began his reign, when he took over the throne, that he would do what even David couldn't do. You see, David was a good leader, a leader after God's own heart. But Throughout his entire reign, there was still war and and clashing of of the people of Israel and the tribes. um, There was unrest. And so David prays, may you, Solomon, be that peace that I wasn't able to accomplish in my time. May you bring this righteous rule to bear on the peoples. And you'll remember, if you know the story of Solomon, that things began really well, right? Right? Solomon, the man of peace, 
One of the first acts he does is navigating a very tricky decision and and displaying his wisdom. And everyone starts to say, wow, this, this is a just and a righteous king. But friends, by the end of Solomon's reign, things were quite different. You see, Solomon turned his heart away from the Lord. And by the end of his reign, he, he had put so many taxes on the people to accomplish his, his, his projects throughout the land that the people cried out, he is making our yoke heavy. We feel oppressed under his reign. Did David's prayer fail? We see the end of Solomon's reign. It, it, Leaves us waiting, waiting for a king. A king who could fulfill the great hopes and dreams of this prayer. And then David prays for something else. Verses 8 through 14. He prays not only for the king's rule, but also the king's reach. How far does this peace extend that David prays for? You know, he prays for righteousness. He prays for justice. But not only that, he prays for a righteousness and justice that extends beyond the borders of Israel and reaches into the lands around. And, 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 and really, that takes over the whole world. It's a universal reach. Uh, you read this and you say, Wow. This is staggering because you kind of follow the compass directions as he gives you locations. He mentions um, Euphrates. That's the furthest east that someone in Israel would think of, the river Euphrates. And then he mentions Tarshish. That's way over in the west headed towards Spain. And then he takes you south to, to Arabia and central Africa with Sheba and Seba. And so you're, you're pushing, you know, in this psalm. Outward in all directions like a compass, and you see this righteous, peaceful reign just marching onward. So that this king that David prays for can say that not one square inch of the universe isn't under my power. Even the desert tribes, the, those nomads that take pride in being independent and you know, living, living outside of the king's reach, even they bring him tribute and say, we honor you, king. And look at how this king wins over his enemies in verse 14. You know, David prays that his son, his descendant, would be the kind of king that wins over his enemies, not just with military power, but because he's compassionate. He lifts up the drooping head. He meets those that are, that are oppressed by violence. And, and look at this beautiful, this beautiful statement, verse 14. Precious is their blood in his sight. Why do the nations come streaming to this king? Not because of his, 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 his violence or power, but because he cares for them. Because he's the kind of king that sees them as persons and not, and not as pawns to do his bidding. They say, oh, that kind of king we would stream to. That kind of king we would bow our knee to. And, and so, once again, David places his hopes and prayers that his son Solomon will be a king like that. Did it happen? Was that prayer answered? 
from sea to shining sea. Not quite. You see, Solomon, uh, David's prayer for Solomon. Certainly, we see Solomon's borders expanding to, to in directions that Israel had never reached before. It's under Solomon that Israel enjoys its fullest reach. And it's under Solomon that the, the queen of the south, right, comes and pays a visit. And the king of Tyre comes and pays a visit. But from the Euphrates, from Tarshish, from Sheba and, and Seba, not under Solomon. And so again, leaves us waiting and saying, when will David's prayer be answered? All of this leads to the final prayer that David makes in this psalm. He prays for the king's rule. He prays for the king's reach. And then finally, he prays for the king's enduring blessing. What is the king's rule like, according to this psalm? It is, it is like righteousness flowing down like a waterfall. How far does that righteousness extend? How far does that rain reach? Everywhere, universally. But how long will it last? How long will this peace endure? And the answer of this song is this resounding Forever, forever and ever, as long as the moon and sun endure. And even beyond that, may the king's name resound in the people's ears forever and ever. And as David focuses on this prayer that 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 this rain would go on and on. It's not just the time that he has in mind, it's also The blessing, he prays that increasing blessing would pour forth from the king as as that king creates those perfect conditions for flourishing, that 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 flourishing would would go on and on in in greater experiences of his blessing. He gives you pictures of what that's like, right? Like fruit growing on the mountains. You ever hiked up a mountain? There's not much fruit up there. It's, It's pretty views, nice views, but there's not much growing on mountaintops. This picture is like fruit filling the earth. Wheat growing on the tops of hills where, 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 where it's never grown before. It's like everything that this king touches turns to gold. I remember a quote from the Lord of the Rings. It goes like this. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's a hope in the Lord of the Rings that out of Gondor will come a king. And the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, right? The hands of the king are healing hands. Everything that he touches flourishes. And so David's prayer comes to its end. It's a beautiful prayer. This is David's final plea. You see that, right, at the end of the the passage. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. He says, every prayer that I've ever made, Lord, every psalm that I've ever poured out before you, really, Lord, it would all be answered if this king could reign. It would all be answered if Solomon could be this kind of guy. 
And yet, Solomon disappoints us in so many ways. As soon as David dies, as soon as Solomon dies, the blessings that we hoped would endure just crumble to pieces as his son, Rehoboam, takes over the throne and says, my father, he was too easy on you. He brings harsh and oppressive rule and then begins this cycle of, of, of kings that just descend Israel into chaos. And here and there, you see a guy who gives you hope, but by and large, just all leads to a pulling away of blessing, not a flourishing, not, not fruit on the mountaintops, but chaos and descent. Was David's prayer answered? Yes, but you have to wait for it. Because there is a son of David and his name is Jesus. He's the king we celebrate every day of our lives. But he's the king that we focus on, on, on coming to earth at this time of the year. Jesus, on that, that night in Bethlehem when he was born, became the fulfillment of every prayer of David in this psalm. Jesus, the son of David, is the righteous king. Why is he the righteous king? Because he brings the righteousness and justice and peace of God to his people. How does he do that? Because he is God. He is the righteousness of God. He is the justice of God. Come to take on human flesh and to establish a rule according to that perfect peace. Only he can do that. Only he can do that as long as the moon endures. And beyond. And Jesus is that universal king. You, 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 saw, you heard a sneak preview of that, right? In our, in our text this morning from Matthew. Who comes to pay Jesus a visit and bless him with gifts? The Magi from the far east giving him gold, giving him blessing. What are they saying? He's the king. He's the universal king. And we know from the prophecies of scripture, from the book of Philippians, that on that final day, when the king comes again, every knee will bow. Even the most independent and rebellious king will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. He is the righteous king. He's the universal king. How, how is he that righteous and universal king? Because Jesus is the compassionate king. You ever wonder... Why is it that people from all over the world are so attracted to King Jesus? Why is it that, you know, empires have tried to scrub out the name of Christ from history and yet over and over again they fail? Why is that? It's because Jesus knows people and he loves people. And once people meet that king... They just can't forget him. And they love him when he's won them over. And he wins them over, not with military might, but he wins them over by the word of his gospel, which proclaims what? That he, 
became poor and needy, that he took on flesh, that he knew our afflictions, that he knew all every one of our temptations, that he went to the cross and this powerful king humbled himself and lowered himself and got close to those who are who are are hurt by sin and hurt by oppressors. And the one who became needy, the one who became poor says, you are precious to me. Lift up your head. Finally, Jesus is the king of enduring blessings. Ephesians 1 tells us why. That we are blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that blessing never stops because he has an inheritance for us tied up in heaven that, can, that never fades. Like fruit filling the earth, like wheat growing on the mountaintops. That's who our Savior is. You know, that's why every tyrant from Herod to Hitler have hated the gospel. Why? Because they know that Jesus is the true king. They hear about him and they know it. You see that in our text in Matthew that Herod hears about this king and right away he's a threat. Why? Because he's so unlike him. Because he's righteous and he's compassionate and he's universal and his blessing endures. And Herod says, I don't want that. I want to rule my way. And Jesus says, no. Every tyrant throughout human history, we've seen it in the past and we see it today and we'll see it continue until Christ comes again, will oppose the gospel. Don't be surprised when that happens. It's because because they hate the king and they don't want to bow their knee to him. But friends, Jesus calls you to bow your knee to him. And that's the first thing this psalm really requires of you. It's to enjoy the the benefits of the king's righteous reign. Jesus isn't asking something of you that, that doesn't meet your every need. He's actually telling you to enjoy his reign, to delight in it, to be excited about what's happening. Have you bowed your knee to this king? In order to do that, you have to cry out that you are humble and needy, that you are a sinner, one who has been hurt by your own sin, and you need the king, and you need the reign that he can bring, not a reign that you can set up on your own. You need the peace that he's bringing. And this king wants you you to take your place in his kingdom by faith in him. His hands are ready to lift you from the dust and restore the life that sin, your sin has ripped away from you. And he wants to bless you and fill everything that you've taken away from yourself. And then King Jesus gives us beautiful tasks that we can enjoy today. Like what? Like proclaiming to the nations that he's king. Like working in our lives and in our governments today to see people and governors and rulers start to recognize this rule and to become more like it. We want to see rulers and governments that that reflect the righteousness of King Jesus, 
that practice the justice of King Jesus. It is the duty of Christians to work for that today. Not, not because we, we're confusing the kingdom of this world with the kingdoms of Christ, but because we of all people understand what benefits others. It's the righteousness and the justice that we've learned from King Jesus. And as we do these things, Jesus calls us to not only enjoy the benefits of his reign, but also to keep waiting for his return. Because over and over again, the kingdoms of this world are going to disappoint us, no matter how hard we ought to work to see them reflect the righteousness of Jesus. They're going to disappoint us, just like Solomon disappointed us, just like David disappointed us. Psalm 72 leaves us with a kingdom for which the world still waits. And we're we're saying, wow, Jesus has brought so much, but I can't wait till he comes again. And and this psalm is is not an exaggeration, but it matches reality. That's going to happen one day. Do you believe that? Well, we ought to keep praying, friends. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, great King. And establish your reign, which has begun and which will continue forever and ever. Blessed be the name of our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would establish that righteous king, King Jesus. May his reign continue as long as the sun shines and until he himself becomes the light of the nations. And the sun is no more because he is their light. He is our light. Lord, we pray that we would submit to his rule now, that we would proclaim his rule to the nations, that we would work hard to see this this world reflect the peace that he calls it to. But Lord, we need him to come again for that to come finally and fully. And we pray that he would. We pray that we would be waiting when he does come. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.